If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Happy Easter from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Please take a moment to tell us you're here by using the sign-in link in your bulletin, and you can support the work and mission of this congregation with your tithes and offerings also using the bulletin and the tab there, or you can put your gift in the giving box, which is located just outside the sanctuary. So much work and ministry is going on in this place. Please take note of the announcements page on our website, which you can also access using our bulletin. And of particular note, we will gather along the Memorial Marathon route next Sunday instead of being in person here. We will premiere online-only worship at 11 o'clock, and you can, if you bought a t-shirt, a church t-shirt, you can pick those up in Milligan Hall after the service. Let us begin this Easter Sunday with our call to worship. Today is not like any other day. Today we are singing. Today we rest in the good news. Today the stone was rolled away. Today the women saw the empty tomb. Today, we know that death does not have the last word. So it is that we proclaim, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Will you pray with me? We'll never understand why the women did it, Holy One. They went to the tomb knowing that the stone was in place immovable, unyielding to argument or pressure. And to be fair, the same thing could be said about the women. They, too, were immovable, unyielding to argument or pressure that they would not be able to do what they set out to do. But still, the stone was the stone, too big, too heavy, no way around, no way through, like trying to move a mountain. What exactly did they think they were going to do about it? We know the feeling. There are things in our life that are immovable. Work, home, 
The conversation, the relationship, too big, too heavy, no way around, no way through, and we have no idea what we are going to do about any of it, like trying to move a mountain. But as it turns out, just as the women didn't have to move mountains, neither do we. Instead, we must move hearts, apparently ours first. So this morning we ask for the courage of the women who prepared and packed without knowing, who trusted that as long as they showed up, you would too. So help us to be just as unyielding in matters of hope and just as steadfast in matters of love as they were. We pray in the name of Jesus, who helps us do the heavy lifting. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to the all rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them as an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. From the outside looking in, and maybe from the inside looking in, church on Easter morning is rather odd. I mean, a bunch of people show up to hear a story that they've already heard. And for over 2,000 years, the ending of this story hasn't changed. For some of us, this Sunday will mark over 90 times we have heard this same story on this same day. I mean, each of the Gospels, they tell it differently, of course, but there really isn't a surprise ending. And even if we know the ending, we have, of course, still shown up, which is good news because showing up is a significant part of the gospel itself, showing up. The gospel of Luke tells us that's the women who show up the first Easter. This does not surprise any of us, of course. We know that the ministry of Jesus was just crawling with women, binders full of women, 
It's also true, of course, that women were pushed out, kicked out, held back, and told to wait for the next 2,000 years of Christianity. But in the beginning, in the beginning, women were up to their necks in ministry with Jesus. Luke mentions some of them by name early in his gospel, Mary, Joanna, Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources, which is Luke's way of saying that the girls were invested. So it's not shocking that some of these same women and a few more show up at the tomb on the first day of the week, early at dawn, taking the spices they had prepared to care for the body of their beloved Jesus. But because no good deed goes unpunished, what the women get for their trouble is a lecture from two men, which is definitely enraging. These women are the only disciples who showed up at the tomb, so I don't know, maybe save the speech for the dude bros who are nowhere to be found. As for the women, Upon seeing the men in dazzling clothes, the text tells us they were perplexed and terrified. We might say that their spidey sense was activated, but given the gender, we'll just, instead of calling it a superpower, say it's, you know, women's intuition or something. But terrified was definitely the appropriate feeling. Fear can be a life-saving emotion when we need to respond quickly to physical or psychological danger. And the women had just been through the terrible, traumatic torture and crucifixion of their friend and teacher. They knew religious and political leaders were watching for Jesus stragglers, and there was high risk that they could meet a similar fate. And now there are two strangers hanging out in the tomb, seemingly waiting on the women to arrive. But the content of the lecture turns out not to be mansplaining, praise the Lord. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you? The men in dazzling clothes do not want the women to be afraid. They want the women to remember. Remembering is so very important to the life of faith. And I am not talking about remembering the good old days, which at best is usually just an imaginary world that never existed, and at worst is a dog whistle to resist growth and protect power. No, I. The kind of remembering that is important to the life of faith is the kind that is used to motivate moral good. Do you remember God speaking to Israel in Leviticus 19? You shall love the alien as yourself, for remember, remember you were aliens once in the land of Egypt. The memory of our own experience compels us to love the stranger. Memory is also a powerful force of awakening our sense of duty, as in the Gospel of Matthew where it is written, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your sibling has something against you, first 
Go and be reconciled. It's urgent. Do it now. Don't wait. Delay is deadly. Relationships matter. Come to God only when you have come correct with others. It is in this biblical tradition that the women indeed remembered and it moved them beyond their fear and terror. The faith and witness of the women, wrote Fred Craddock, consisted of three elements. The discovery of the empty tomb, the word of the two messengers, and their remembrance of the words of Jesus. Often that third factor is overlooked, but it is very important in the gospel and is confirmed in our own experience and in other scripture. After the resurrection, the disciples remembered and understood. The two at Emmaus experienced Christ in the breaking of bread and, and then remembered what Jesus had said on the road. Faith does not usually move from promise to fulfillment, but from fulfillment to promise. Remembering is the activating ingredient. The women remembered Jesus speaking words of life and then recognized what had happened. Indeed, just as Jesus had said, the authorities could not silence his message. They could not end his ministry. They could not keep love in the grave. So suddenly, instead of only despair, the women felt awe and wonder. Those are the words, if we can actually find the words, to describe those moments when we feel overwhelmed by the vastness of something almost incomprehensible, when it feels like what we're witnessing can't be true, like we're seeing something that doesn't quite fit with how we move through and understand our everyday lives. Awe and wonder. What happens next is a bit different from the way the other Gospels tell the story. In Luke, the women are not commanded to go and tell the other disciples, as both Mark and Matthew have it. The women in the Gospel of Luke are not errand runners for the disciples. They are the disciples. And because we know that wonder inspires the wish to understand and awe inspires the wish to let something shine, we know that, of course, the women were compelled to go and tell the others. Awe and wonder are powerful motivators. I'm going to hazard a guess that, that today, while everyone was getting in their Easter best, trying to make it to church relatively on time, that there may have been some tension in the home. There are lots of emotions on these types of occasions, particularly on this high holy day of Easter. We feel stress, worried, anxious, frustrated. Is the house clean enough so that we can finish picking up before the rest of the family comes over for lunch? Did you remember to turn on the crock pot? Why aren't you dressed yet? No, I do not know where your dress shoes are. Eat your breakfast. Are there Easter eggs to find? How are you still not dressed? And finally, 
perhaps the resignation that we really aren't going to make it to church on time. There's an argument to be made that we feel just about everything on Easter morning except for awe and wonder. We really don't associate those two things with Easter Sunday, do we? It's not just you, it's preachers too. We've been very, very busy trying to make Holy Week holy. We too have families that want to hunt eggs. We have to navigate custody schedules and we need to divvy up who's going to burn the roast and who's bringing that weird jello cool whip dish of unnatural color and texture. We are also trying to manage our expectations, I know, primarily about the Easter sermon because this might be the only one someone hears until Christmas Eve. <laughs> the joke around my pastor friends is that we need Jesus to get up so that we can get in the tomb. So yeah, pastors aren't really modeling awe and wonder on Sunday morning. It is also true that awe and wonder aren't exactly the emphasis of the other 364 days of the year. If I were to ask you about the last time any of us were angry, I'm guessing we could identify the date and circumstance with little hesitation. Same thing about being sad or anxious or heartbroken or embarrassed. But it's not just the challenging emotions, though. I would even bet that it wouldn't take most of us too terribly long to describe the last time we felt calm, or happy, or relieved, but awe and wonder? Like, we'd have to think about it. It's possible we might not be able to place the last time we felt awe and wonder. And please don't be embarrassed or ashamed if that's true for you. You are not alone. We are all going through some things. Divorce, separation, abuse, major depression, financial trouble, family trouble, relationship trouble, health issues, work issues, death, and mental illness. Add to that wars, rumors of wars, legislative attacks, public health, climate change, partisan pandering, and gun violence that is itself pandemic in proportion. Although perhaps it would be more accurate to describe gun violence as an endemic, since it's really just a disease common to Americans with high concentration in white male incels, which is probably why the U.S. government hasn't declared war on it. Instead, we're focused on denying abortion care and militarizing the police. It's not, it's not rocket science why we can't remember the last time we experienced awe and wonder. There are so many other things that demand our attention. But this is why it is so important that we showed up this morning to hear this story that we already know how it ends. To hear this story we've heard countless times so that we might remember a little awe and wonder in our daily living. Remember that awe and wonder go hand in hand with being people of the resurrection. The world desperately needs people of faith to remember awe and wonder, for they are essential to the human experience. Wonder fuels our passion for exploration and learning, for curiosity and adventure. 
And just to make sure my science nerds have what they need this morning, researchers have found that awe leads people to cooperate, share resources, and sacrifice for each other. It causes them to fully appreciate the value of others and see themselves more accurately, evoking humility. Some researchers even believe that awe-inducing events may be one of the fastest and most powerful methods of personal change and growth. Indeed, head and heart are equal partners in faith. Which all sounds great, this all sounds great, but some of us are so overwhelmed that we do not even know where to begin. Like, does anyone know if there are any empty tombs for us to practice finding any extra awe and wonder lying around? But the good news is we don't need a tomb for that. We can practice resurrection, as the poet Wendell Berry recommends, practice noticing things we fail to see on a regular basis. The butterfly in the garden, the kindness of a stranger, morning by morning, new mercies I see. Have we forgotten how remarkable it all is? We can consider the moon, still awe-inspiring, still central to the human experience all over the planet. So many generations speaking different languages, practicing different traditions, looking up at the same shining body in the night sky. Or we might be in awe at the fact that our dog knows just when to come and put its head on our knee or that the phone rings and the voice on the other end of the line can make you smile before you know what they want to talk about. It is a wonder that perennials are beginning to break through the soil despite the snow and ice we've had, despite that it was 50 degrees yesterday. Sometimes it is a wonder that we are still breathing, still, after all that has happened after what we've been through, we should pause and be in awe that the worst thing wasn't the last thing. Today, today, someone marked one day of sobriety. What a wonder. And someone else today marked 15 years of sobriety, of one day at a time, awe and wonder. It turns out there is resurrection and life all around us. And this is why we tell the story of that first Easter morning over and over and over and over again, because there will be times when we are completely sure that the stone is too heavy to be rolled away. But then we remember the story. There will be times when we think that what has been torn cannot be mended. But then we remember the story. There will be times when despair has claimed the day, but then we remember the story. There will be times when we look for the living among the dead, but then we remember the story. There will be times when we believe that resurrection and new life aren't possible, but then, but then we remember the story. There will be times when we are certain that 
powers and principalities have won out. But then we remember this story, this story that says, love has the last word. Beloveds, this is our story. It might not feel like it has burning relevance right now today, but it's in your back pocket, waiting for the moment when it will make all the difference. It already has. Don't you remember? You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.